Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening, Tom Block, Keith Jones. How are you, KJ? Doing well. Doing well. Good to see you again. Feels like it's been a while, uh, probably because now we can let the cat out of the bag. It's been a little more than a week since we... Uh, Shh, don't sh- tell anybody. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, I was in Boston last week uh, at this time when the show aired. So anyway, <laughs> uh, which is always a, a good trip. Uh, I've had the, the good fortune of making it several times with FSU football. This was absolutely the best weather uh, weekend there. Not that those that didn't travel really want to hear me, uh, you know. <laughs> Talk about the great weekend, but that was that was the case. Uh, but it was a good trip. Florida State and got my, a fear, win. my fear this time of year always with Boston, but and, and maybe more so when you get a little, uh, maybe three or four weeks later, is they they can get a wind chill and, and, a, and a front come through and it get down to forty degrees and get miserable, even though it's bright and sunshiny. So uh, I'm glad the weather held for you. No, the weather was uh, weather was good. Game uh, was a mixed bag. We'll talk about that. Tim Linnefelt will join us uh, next segment. And uh, we'll get the thoughts from our Seminoles.com uh, insider. Your thoughts? Everybody is a little upset because things went as we expected them to. I mean, we sat around here last week saying, you know, Florida State probably isn't going to win big. Uh, they may even be behind at halftime. You know, they're going up against a defense that's much better than the, the two weeks previous. We don't know exactly what, uh, uh, you know, is Golson going to be a first-half Golson or a second-half Golson. So we go up there. We win 14 to nothing. Could have very easily been 24 to nothing, um, in which everybody, those 10 points would change everybody's perception, I think. Uh, but they're 3-0 and with issues in a bye week, which is right where we thought they would be. But everybody's a little upset. I don't I don't. I don't know quite what to make of that. Well, that's that's society, KJ. Get on social media. I'll put my weekly plug in there, and you'll see that this is what it looks like. Yeah, this is what's going to happen, everybody. It's going to be a bumpy ride, a bit of a roller coaster. It's a young team. We're going to say it for eight months, and then when you see it over the first three weeks of the season, particularly against BC, you're going to act like it's completely unexpected. Um, yeah, obviously there's a lot of things to work out offensively. When I looked at this season months ago, and there was even before Everett Golson had transferred in, my number one area of concern, or my, I wasn't concerned about quarterback play or the offense in general, just because I've seen Jimbo get yards, points, and production out of whatever the situation was more before he became the head coach than, than since he's become the head coach, because since that time he's had his guy in there pretty much. But I mean, he took Ponder with no offensive skill NFL players around him. I mean, period. The only guy that went to the league in addition to Ponder, I think, was Hudson that he played with, right. really. You know, and he he made it work. So I was confident uh, back then. I'm confident now. Now, I do think Jimbo's going back to the drawing board a little bit. And it's uh, I was talking with Tom Lang before we got started here that, that some of it is Golson not being familiar or comfortable in what he's trying to do. But I think some of it is Jimbo having to figure out what can Golson do and what can I call and what, what is – what are his strengths? And I think that is exactly what happened up at Chestnut Hill. Uh, and it's been documented. This is not a new revelation for our listeners, but just to, to maybe uh, boil it down, opened up a little bit and saw more read option against BC than you actually had seen in the two previous games. And Colston didn't run it well. He, he did not make the correct read almost every time. And I think that really... Uh, jolted Jimbo because that was going to be part of the game plan. They run it three or four times, and and every time Golson is making the incorrect decision, and all of a sudden Jimbo's got to dial everything back and almost start over. Therefore, we get into, well, Jimbo didn't call good plays, and it wasn't a good game plan, and that type of thing. But it all revolves around the confidence that Jimbo has in Golson running types of plays that he got disappointed in. That's my read early going. We'll see how the bye week plays out. I think another point is that Jimbo 
calls and manages the game according to what's going on on the other side of the field too in other words had that been a you know the 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 georgia tech acc championship game when you're going to have to score 35 37 points to win he's going to call that differently than a game where he doesn't want to make his offense to make a mistake and gift bc a touchdown so he's willing to play field position and punt which is vanilla you know and and boring to the fans but that's part of how jimbo manages the game and uh, you know, we're in 2015 now, and I still hear people in angst about the 2012 NC State game. We got, I switched, I we, going we right, gotta right let right it NC go game. at some point. There's been a 29 game win streak in there. We just gotta let it go, you know. But, uh, and, well, but and, I, I don't think he gets credit for that part of it. And field position was a huge issue in this BC game for two reasons. Number one, a lot of the time Florida State was backed up, and because they didn't. Uh, get any yardage they had to rely on Beatty which by the way uh, where, where's my uh, crow fest meal uh, I've got to be eating some crow in here somewhere what a, what a great that's a hunting. big that's a big meal that's a lot of people at yeah. that meal yeah it, it, yeah it, it, everybody will show up uh, but what a job Kaysen did but he had to because Florida State was backed up a whole bunch in this ball game and whether Jimbo will admit it publicly or not he he like many play callers gets very conservative backed up particularly when the offense is struggling because he as you succinctly said doesn't want to give that turnover or a quick six or easy points to the opposition and you look on the defensive side and see how well Florida State's playing it makes for vanilla uh, but uh, that's all correctable. We know what the issues are. You just got to figure out what the right parts are. Yeah, and so that process will go on. The, the open week, I'm still waiting for the first coach to say that the open week came in a bad time. I don't think this was the ideal time, but I still haven't heard a coach say that. Having said that, it's a young team, and uh, it, it probably is not a bad thing for Jimbo to get back to the drawing board a little bit and work on some fundamentals with his young team. And then you know, arguably the only downside is you got to play the next nine games consecutively. You, you would like to have some kind of a break, you know, somewhere in the middle of that. But it is what it is. Uh, they've gotten a couple of kids back uh, on the defensive side of the ball that have been out that might be able to help. Uh, one of their offensive linemen uh, is practicing this week that had been out for a little bit. But it goes back to exactly what we're talking about Jimbo has got to continue to tweak and work with this offense find the things that Everett is comfortable doing and then make those things happen the read option right now today isn't one of those uh, things they need to work on in my opinion I don't I just don't think Everett is equipped to run it right now for whatever reason well He's going to have to get them equipped. I mean, they've got to find they've got to find an answer there. With with uh, well, they didn't run it on the first drive. Yeah, and they went right down. So I, you know, I I I don't know the complete answer. I just know. Let me say it this way: Everett looks so ill-equipped running the read option. I wouldn't say that it's something you want to rely on right now. Yeah, that's that's a better way to say it. I'll agree with that. All right, we'll get uh, Tim Linefeld, our Seminoles dot com insider, on next segment and uh, go further in depth about what everybody's talking about, which is where was FSU's offense last week. Later in the show, Jerry Kutz from Seminole Boosters will join us, and we will discuss the Champions Club, which is the new club seat. Uh, opportunity that uh, will be in play starting with the 2016 season at Doe Campbell Stadium. So some uh, interesting conversation, as always, here on the front row. Stay with us. We are just getting warmed up. You are listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back, everybody. We'll continue our football discussion this week. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. We're joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. I'll remind you that Jimbo Fisher's postgame press conference streams live following every home game on Seminoles.com. Of course, you can see his Monday press conferences uh, live on Seminoles.com as well. This week, uh, Jimbo took Monday off. It is the open week, so we'll, we'll give him a pass for that one. But uh, in addition to FSU football, you can follow all Florida State athletics, uh, get all your news, videos, highlights, plus the keen insight of Tim Linnefeld on Seminoles. The one and only, Mr. The, Tim Linnefeld. The one and only. Tim, uh, we're just going to give you the floor, and we're going to ask you to uh, completely explain what's wrong with Florida State's offense at present. Starting now? Go. Well, I, I think it, it's it's kind of a multitude of things, um, and you can kind of look at that as either encouraging or not encouraging, depending on 
uh, whether you're a glass half full or a half empty kind of guy. Uh, but I think that it starts with uh, the quarterback. Obviously, I think is, is not looking too terribly comfortable, uh, especially uh, with some of the pass rushes he's facing. But uh, the other side of that is that the offensive line has uh, has had its issues, especially with some uh, some some of the stout defensive lines they've faced. Uh, and then other times when they they have blocked well and and made the right throws or made the right reads, you've had some receivers that, that haven't been able to come up with the catch they've needed to come up with, or at times Everett Golson hasn't been able to make the throw uh, that that he's needed to make. So everybody kind of I think has a hand in it. Uh, but the good news is if, if just one or two of those things uh, improves, then you like to think the others might follow suit. Hey, just a point of clarification: Are you in the can right now, or what's going on? No, no, I was trying to find like a, a, I was like a, a stairwell, but that wasn't really working out. So I, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to set our listeners' minds at ease there and just get you on the record about. I that. was waiting was, for the hand blower to start. <laughs> I was thinking a nice uh, a nice echo might uh, might add to the experience, but, but it was a little too much. <laughs> All right, well, have you been banned from the football offices, Tim? What? No, no, no. It's just there's a lot of people around here, so you kind of have to find your corners, you know. I got you. All right, we'll see what we can do to get you a, a nice, quiet space for your next segment uh, with us. All right, well, let's. Um, well, the quarterback is always where we start, so I, I'll, I'll start right there. Then, I mean, it, it seems as if Everett is struggling. I mean, uh, in, in some respects, and you just mentioned that. I, I guess my uh, what what's intriguing to me is is it at a point where you would consider going another direction, or is it just that this is still him getting comfortable with the offense and Jimbo getting comfortable for him, and everything will be fine and, and hunky dory when all said and done. Well, can the answer be a little bit of both? Uh, because, because I think it is a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I, I think there, there definitely has to be, uh, you know, other options, at least on the table. Uh, he hasn't been so good that it's unthinkable that you could go to Sean McGuire. Uh, but at the same time, it's, uh, you know, it's, when would you do that? You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to imagine that, that he would be supplanted uh, before or during the Wake Forest games. I don't see that happening. Uh, and, and then, you know, if, if everything goes okay at Wake Forest, which you think he probably would, uh, you know, are you going to make a switch for Miami? Are, are you going to wait until you're essentially down a touchdown or two to Miami? That's that's not really a great scenario either. So while I think it's on the table, I, I don't know exactly how that scenario would play out. Uh, I almost think if you were going to make change or explore a change, uh, you might do it and, and get on some reps this weekend. But even that, or not this weekend, next weekend. Uh, but even that seems a little bit kind of far fetched, don't you think? Well, I, and I, I think uh, the change, if it comes, Tim, would be during a ball game, not during a week of practice. So it would either be after the first couple of three series of Wake Forest, if it was going to happen at all. I don't, I don't think Jimbo makes that change uh, and starts Sean in the next ball game. I just don't think that's the way he operates. What do you think? No, I, I agree completely, and that's kind of what uh, what I'm saying. And yeah, it's hard for me to imagine anybody other than Everett Golson starting against Wake Forest. And then, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but in all likelihood, I, I, I wouldn't I would be surprised if there was any scenario that, that led Jimbo Fisher to make a change of quarterback during the Wake Forest game. So at that point, uh, I'm not sure, you know, what we should really expect there. I think it's going to be, you know, Everett Golson maybe has a tighter grip on, on the job than, than you might under different circumstances. Tom and I were talking uh, in our first segment. Uh, Tim, get your input. I, I really think Jimbo uh, adjusted, changed what he thought was going to be in the game plan uh, once uh, the first couple of times when Effort attempted to run the, the read option and, and just made the flat-out wrong read. And I think it really made Jimbo become quite conservative in his play calling. Your thoughts? No, I agree completely, and and he addressed that after the game uh, in his press conference. He said that there were a few times when, you know, we had the right play or the uh, the, the read, his read was open, and it just he made the wrong read. Whether it was, you know, he was giving it all the way or keeping it all the way, usually giving it. I don't think he, I don't think he wanted to keep it much. Uh, and and had he made the opposite read, you know, the the play was open, and it just didn't happen. So uh, he, he's definitely not happy, uh, not happy with that. I think that he, he didn't sound frustrated, but just sort of was was kind of coming from the place of. You know, look, it wasn't pretty, but it's not like we weren't in position. It just didn't come together. And so, yeah, I mean, that that there's there's only so many ways to dissect that. It just it has to get better. Uh, and if if it doesn't or it can't, then you know, you have to take that out of the playbook because right now it's it's just not working. Well, candidly, I think I think Jimbo was a little bit bewildered because I'm sure. I mean, we're not there because he doesn't let us. But I'm not, I'm sure Everett has run the read option well in practice. 
and that's why they they had started to put more of it into the game plan i i i think there's a part if jimbo would admit it where he's looking out there and he doesn't believe what he's seen uh it was it was done so poorly well and certainly you know he's a smart enough coach that if it wasn't being run well in practice or at least better than it's being run in the games it wouldn't be a part of the game plan so yeah i think you're definitely on point with that let me ask you this is there any reason to be concerned about dalvin cook right now no, I don't think so at all. He hasn't missed any practice. They do have him in a blue non-contact jersey, but that's not really news. That's pretty standard uh, operating procedure for a running back at this time of season. Everybody gets a little bit banged up, but, uh, but as far as we can tell, he hasn't been limited at all. Uh, that doesn't mean that there is not a good time for a bye week. Uh, give him a chance to, to heal up any bumps or bruises, but I don't think it's anything that, that you need to be worried about. For the Wake Forest game, let me think this through, Where the, will there be uh, zero new starters on the offensive line? One, perhaps at tackle. Two, if we change centers as well. Or three, if the if the guard position gets flip-flopped. Well, then, uh, I, I think Derek Kelly uh, has a really good chance to start at right tackle. Uh, they were pretty pleased with the way uh, he came in and, and pass-blocked. And, and I think it was pretty neck-and-neck neck at that right tackle position all through fall camp anyway. And so, uh, in fact, you know, to be quite honest, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised it took him as long as it did to, to go with Derek Kelly. I think that it's, it's probably still going to come down to the next you know, week and a half of practice, but I think Derek Kelly's a pretty good has a pretty good chance to uh, to get some time there at right tackle. And then also, I think it depends on uh, on Cole Minshew. He's a guy that uh, that they really really like, and uh, was probably uh, you know really making a case for himself to be the starting center. And then he got hurt and uh, and wasn't able to practice. Well, he's back to practice now, and and again with that bye week has more time to to get healthy and and get to to where he maybe get up to speed with the rest of the linemen. Uh, and if he can do that, I think there's a pretty good chance he could be your center at Wake Forest. Change of gears a little bit, Tim, and, and, and uh, paraphrasing uh, my partner, Mr. Blocks, uh, one of his favorite expressions, things are not ever quite as good as they seem and they're not ever quite as bad as they seem. Uh, is this defense uh, as good as we think it is or it's something a little bit less or somewhere in between? What, what do you think? Well, it depends. How good do you think it is? I, I think <laughs> it uh, is relatively good. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'd give it about a 7.5 or an 8. I, I agree with that. I, I mean, the way I would kind of describe the defense right now is that They've uh, they've done exactly what they're supposed to do, which is a really encouraging thing, and it's something that you couldn't always say about last year's defense. Uh, that said, I, I don't know how much they've really been tested. Uh, Texas State, USF, and even Boston College, I don't think, have great offenses. And, and quite frankly, I'm not sure they're going to get. You know, I don't think they'll get tested until they play Miami. I'm not sure what you're going to get out of Wake Forest, although they do seem to be throwing the ball pretty well. Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine uh, that you know, Wake, Wake Forest being able to match Florida State's athletes on defense. Uh, but again, that said, you know you can't complain about a shutout on the road. Uh, and the and the way you know there there are a few things on defense I think that are positive signs, uh, regardless of opponent. The way they they scramble to the ball, the way everybody depends on the ball, uh, is very encouraging. The way they're tackling, uh, I think, is night and day different than uh, than what they had last year. And again, those types of things uh, you can see regardless of who they're playing. But uh, again, especially I think when it comes to the secondary, uh, they haven't matched up against a receiving core that can that can hang with them athletically, and it, it probably won't really know exactly what that group is made of until Miami. I'm, I'm still impressed with what we'll call the, the uh, at least most of our listeners I think would understand, the no names on the defensive line. Uh, with NLS and Naughty and and you know Newberry, I mean these are guys that weren't highly touted and talked about over the summer or during fall camp, but they have been as productive, as steady, as consistent uh, through three games as I think you could ask of them. Yeah, and you know a lot of those guys, there's just there's just so many uh, useful bodies, I guess. There, you know, last year you had NFL talents and Eddie Goldman and Mario Edwards Jr. and those guys are playing upwards of 70 snaps a game. Here, the rotation is quick. It's deep. You've got your Georgia Newberries. You've got your Jacob Hughes. Josh Sweat is a guy on the, on the edge that people just rave and rave about, uh, you know, how gifted he is athletically. And then inside, like you mentioned, Kyle Lawrence, Sample, Derek Noddy, Marcus Christmas had a really nice team against Boston College. Uh, the list goes on and on. And just being able to get those guys rotated and fresh, I think, is, has been maybe the biggest thing. Uh, because, uh, you know, I don't know how many first, second-round picks there are on, in that group like there were last year, but they're definitely all collectively, I think, maybe greater than the sum of their parts. Well, and DeMarcus Christmas really sort of came of age last week. He had a nice game, and now you're going to get Featherston back as well, so it's only looking better. Let me ask you this. Have you talked to Terrence Smith uh, of late? Because he's been a, a different guy this year than he was a year ago. Oh, funny you should ask. I talked to him last night. How about that? It's almost like we coordinated that, and we, <laughs> and, and we didn't. 
no, yeah, and I agree. He is looking like a different guy, and I think it's a pretty simple explanation. Uh, he's, he's healthy. He's uh, healthy. Exactly. His uh, you know his knee was bothering him. His foot was bothering him. He he told us last night that uh, that he felt that he hadn't been healthy since before the Notre Dame game last season. Uh, and obviously he continued to play, but but he just wasn't right. You could see it uh, on uh, on his interception and the touchdown run against Florida. Uh, no knock on him because it was a really gutsy play, but it might have been the slowest pick six of all time. He just didn't have it, and he was running on one leg. And so to see him uh, and, and just to, just remember what he looks like when he's right, uh, one, it's a really big deal for Florida State's defense, and two, I think it really uh, shows Terrence in a really positive light. I mean, and, that, and that guy looks like a potential NFL player uh, when he's fully healthy. We're wondering if you're going to join us at the uh, crow-eating dinner we're all having for uh, what we've said about Case and Beatty uh, so far this season or during his tenure. I'm carving the bird. <laughs> no, 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 sir. I, that, that, is, uh, that is all you guys. I have been uh, ah, uh, come on, Timmy. Of, of Case and Beatty. Well, no, look, I, it's, it's, it's kind of what I think that uh, – look, was I surprised by what happened on Friday? Of course, who wasn't? I think he was probably surprised by what happened on Friday. But I do think it goes back to what we, I think we talked about him a couple weeks ago. It's not like he doesn't have the physical capabilities of, of launching those fifty-yard punts. It's just a matter of doing it, you know, from punt to punt, and, and now the next step is doing it from from game to game. So, so sure, I'll, I'll have a little bite of that that crow, but uh, but overall, really, I think you just have to be pleased uh, for him. And it's no secret that it, it hasn't always been the easiest four years for him. And so, for him to have a performance like that, I think was uh, pretty cool to see. How do you like FSU this week against Open? I think we got a good shot. Excellent. Excellent. That's, Way to go out that, on a limb. It's that kind of insight that, that leads us to bring <laughs> you, you back on a... You can only get it here, folks. We'll bring you back next week just for that answer to a to a uh, sarcastic question. Tim, good stuff as always. You got it. Thanks, guys. All right. That is uh, Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. As you've heard me say, you can catch Jimbo's pressers uh, after home games and on Mondays, streams live on Seminoles.com. You also uh, can follow every FSU athletic team. Shalace in your face. Jonathan Shalace uh, makes his appearances. It's all on Seminoles.com. If you want to uh, enjoy Keith Jones and myself, well, your only opportunity is right here, for good or for bad, once a week on the front row. And we're not done yet. We've got more to come. Stay with us. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. And we are back on the front row. We'll react to the comments from uh, Tim Linnefeld. I'll remind you that uh, this portion of our program is brought to you by Madison Social. It is our social segment, Trivia Night, every Tuesday night there. Of course, uh, a big-time home or away for Florida State football games or athletic events, not just football. If it's baseball or basketball, there's always a great uh, crowd in there before and after. I know there was a big time last week for the uh, the BC game and uh, a great brunch on weekends. Uh, grab whoever, head on down to Madison Social. The place to be. There you go. Tim Linnefelt uh, with some good insight as always there in our previous segment uh, about the current state of affairs for, for Florida State. Uh, interesting to kick around the quarterback topic because I think whenever Golson made his announcement earlier this summer that he was coming to FSU everybody just said it sort of thought no problems no issues no nothing to debate everything's going to be fine you know we'll move forward and the reality is what we're learning now is how much we truly needed to appreciate the two years of Jameis Winston when there was never a question about who the quarterback was going to be about FSU because for the rest of of time just about the favorite player is always the backup quarterback I mean when I when I came to school it was in the Peter Tom's year, Chip and Pete, PT, but then it was Brad or Casey, Casey or Brad, you know, and then then Charlie kind of, you know, he was good enough that there wasn't a lot of debate then, but then you had debate with Danny and Thad Buzz, and it's just always been that way. Well, I, mean, I remember specifically Charlie's first two games in 92, everybody knows he threw eight interceptions in his first two games, and, and I remember Coach Bowden being specifically asking even Mark Rick at the time, you know, do, do you got to pull him? And they said, well, we can't because 
Canale is just a freshman. <laughs> he, he doesn't know the system. Uh, at least in this situation, if Jerumbo was to make a decision to go, you know that Sean is very well aware of the system. I think it's interesting, too, that, that we're not going to get any answers to anything this week because in an off week, in a bye week, Jimbo has always gone back to fundamentals. The kids are going to practice four, maybe five times. He may give them Friday off. Uh, we'll wait and see and certainly give the weekend off before he gets ready to for game week against Wake Forest. So we're not going to learn anything new this week. This week is all about back to blocking and tackling and fundamentals and getting the kids healthy and that type of thing. But I do think it raises the question about how comfortable Jimbo is in play calling, what he'll ask Everett to do. And and we had a preconceived notion of what he might be able to do coming in based on our experiences of watching him at way, uh, excuse me, at Notre Dame. Uh, and I think the reality is, is maybe we didn't see things the way they're now being seen. And certainly Everett has had to make some adjustments to get used to Jimbo's system. So it's you know the overused work in progress uh, it very much is just that and uh, we'll have to continue to be patient and wait and see how it develops i will say that watching other college football teams play which lots of our listeners get to do on a weekly basis uh, i don't get a chance to watch a lot of games in real time because i've got a 10 or 12 hour day at fsu games on saturday which is fine i'm not complaining but we've had a couple of weeks where we had an 11:30 a.m game then florida state played on friday so i watched a lot of college football last week and there's a lot of average quarterback play. And I know that's been talked about for a while, but well, when you sit and watch it, especially when you watch the SEC, you know, there last, is mediocre yeah, quarterback play last everywhere. Last couple of years, couple, couple of three years, both the Pac-12 and the SEC have been quarterback-dominated leagues. Well, now it's running back-dominated leagues. You see what the kid at LSU did? Uh, obviously, what Dalvin Is that a real question done? in my household? Are you asking if I saw what Fournette did? I, I, I realize <laughs> the idiocy of that comment now that I've heard it out loud. Yes, I did. <laughs> Uh, my point being, it's it's a running back dominated uh, experience in 2015 at the college level, uh, and you're exactly right. I mean, Alabama's had quarterback issues. LSU has had some quarterback issues. Florida is going through some quarterback issues. There, there's not the big. Do- I mean, the number one kid right now at the quarterback position is that little freshman at UCLA that nobody even knew about last year, who threw three interceptions last week and really struggled. Exactly. And the, and the number one guy in the SEC is the guy that wasn't good enough to nail down the starting job at Virginia you know and now he's lights out at Georgia right now so yeah it's, everybody is struggling at the quarterback position it, it seems that it, just seems to be the way it is LSU to me uh, granted I have personal bias here given uh, my wife's uh, roots but uh, if they get any kind of quarterback play marginal or a little better they're a playoff team and potentially national championship team that that team is a they're they're the real deal and yeah. i think we saw in alabama that that uh you know the 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 hype and the respect for what they have been uh, have done in the past really isn't going to carry them forward in I thought, 2015. I thought that was the most interesting sea change to me that came out of this weekend. Whereas in years past, when Alabama has lost, they haven't. I really thought that Alabama would drop in the polls but still be ahead of FSU. And it finally turned the corner when you read the national columnists about it, that, that the shine is off and they're not getting the pass anymore and the aura of invincibility and is, of course, is gone with Alabama. FS- which is not to say they're not going to put together 10 or 11 wins this year, but I thought for the media to finally come off of that, that that was significant. And of course, our listeners and FSU faithful would say, "Well, look, we we win ball games and we back up in the polls. You know, we don't have to even lose games to lose ground." So, uh, it, it's an interesting landscape out there this year. Yeah, nobody's talking about game control for FSU this year, even though FSU has yet to trail in any of its three games. You know, but that's that's not exactly a talking point. Well, right you now. you don't talk about game control with me because you know you don't want me to throw something at you. Understand? Yeah, the the game control is what the final score says. Jeez. I think we all agree with that. Yeah, the BC game. Uh, the Florida State-BC game was the most watched game on ESPN in, on a Friday night like in three years or something like that, whatever the rating was. So that's good news. That shows that people want to watch FSU. Uh, the downside of that was people generally tune in. They want to watch offense, not punts. And when your offense struggles like that, that's that's where the drop in the polls came from. I, and I agree. And we haven't talked about it uh, much, and we don't have much time left in this segment. But as it relates to FSU's defense, uh, I am really impressed with the way Kelly has got these kids. You've, you've talked about it, the way they swarm around the ball. I'm very impressed with the discipline 
They're taking care of their own jobs. They're not trying to do too much. Uh, I think the superstars are making some superstar plays uh, with, with Smith causing the fumble and Ramsey picking it up. Uh, I think that backside with White and whoever else is playing at the, at the nickel corner and I think that dime rabbit package they have where they put the fastest at each of the three positions in on third and long, uh, I think that's a brilliant move. I'm not ready to, to crown this defense uh, as, as the great greatest ever. They certainly have shown the improvement that we wanted to see. They've shown the consistency that we wish for. And and I I just think it's amazing. Uh, We talk about this all the time with coaches. You know, evidently Coach Kelly was an idiot last year and somehow got smart over the summer. It's just amazing how well, that happens. Well, and that goes back to my confidence that the offense will be fine. You know, Jimbo's coached a lot of good offenses and good quarterbacks. He'll, he'll figure it out there. To me, the defense, two things. Depth, it's obvious that, uh, I mean, they, the way they are rotating at all positions, even at linebacker where we've had a three-year fret about what happens if a guy goes down, they've had enough bodies. Uh, the other thing is uh, – I call it like personality blend, if you will. So, for example, you have a Jalen Ramsey who's, you know, the vocal leader and demonstrative, makes big plays and all that. And then you have a LaMarcus Brutus who's actually setting the defensive alignment. And he's a quiet, cerebral guy. And I just think it meshes. And on the defensive front, you've got sort of the same thing, if you will, in that Niall is just a, a quiet, well-spoken guy. He's not necessarily a Mimi, needs to be on Sports Center type guy. And it just seems to be a good mesh right now. We, we talk a lot about the chemistry. I've used the, the analogy of you got to have a few mules, uh, whatever the correct fill in the blank is. So far through three games, this defense has shown that, that they've got a lot of the fill in the blank. Well said. All right. We'll step aside, come back, and uh, shift gears here. We're going to talk about uh, the Champions Club at, uh, at Florida State and specifically what that is. You've probably heard about it. Some of you know it's club seats. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But Jerry Kutz from Seminole Boosters will join us next, and we'll, we'll answer some of those questions. Stay with us here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Greetings once again, broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. Tom Block, Keith Jones. We have uh, dissected to the best we can. Florida State's football team thus far through a quarter of the season, but uh, it is an uh, an open week, and so uh, time to think about the uh, the remainder of the season. Time to think, perhaps big picture, about, big picture, big picture. The twenty sixteen season. We're going to uh, talk about some of the expansion, uh, exciting things that are happening at Doe Campbell Stadium. As uh, Jerry Kutz joins us, he's the senior vice president of capital campaigns and projects with Seminole Boosters, manager of the Champions Campaign, uh, all around good guy. I can attest to that. I've known him for <clears throat> longer than I like to admit at this point. Jerry, how are you? Great, Tom. Thanks for... How are you doing, Keith? Doing great, and, and I've known him longer than you have, Mr. Block. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll just leave it at that, and, and uh, it, pretty much everybody... It makes knows. us old, Keith. Yes, yes. No, no, we're experienced, brother. We're experienced. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry, you've uh, been, uh, for, for several years, well, for several years you've worked with Seminole Boosters, but the last uh, few in particular have been focused on, on an effort that's now coming out of the ground, and uh, we can see the... You know, the construction barricades and tape and all the progress uh, that, that's underway at uh, Doe Campbell. And I'm talking about the Champions Club. So I guess um, as, as a first point, uh, you know, we talk about this as a club section, but really this project you've got going on is, is going to be to the benefit of all, whether you end up with club seats or you just keep your seats wherever they are at Doe Campbell Stadium. That's exactly right. The uh, the Champions Club... Uh the, the, the money uh, generated through the Champions Club will help us fund the painting and repairs and maintenance to all of Doe Campbell Stadium. What's the time frame on that? Well, we're going to start. The last game, I think, is November 22nd. And on November 23rd, uh, they'll start ripping the bleachers out of Doak, you know, the, the aluminum bleachers, and they'll, they'll start sandblasting the the old paint off, get it down to bare metal, and three coats of paint will go on. And that'll take the better part of uh, the six months between November and kickoff to paint this big stadium. It's a, it's a huge project. Well, um, so it, it'll gonna, be... No, go ahead, Jerry. I was going to say that. Sorry. 
I was going to say that we already started the process, actually. We spent most of the summer uh, going in there and welding. Uh, uh, a lot of the deck had rusted through, you know, in places, and so we patched and welded and uh, strengthened uh, various parts of the stadium so that all that structural work was done this summer, about $6 million worth. And uh, so in November, all we're ba- we'll do a little bit of work, but 90% of it will be paint- sandblasting and painting. You know, Jerry, it's, it's interesting. You and I uh, first met when you were uh, owner and publisher of the Osceola back in the, in the 80s, and I got into broadcasting. And one of the fears when television really took off that athletic directors had was it was going to dampen attendance. People weren't going to come. And, and all television did was show everybody what a great time could be had if you actually showed up for the home games. Well, now we're at a point where we've got to take that game experience, and it's not just the three and a half hours of the game. It, it's the Thursday or Friday before going all the way through to the Sunday, and, and we've got to create an experience where fans are not coming just for the game but for things around it, and, and certainly Champions Club is a part of that overall um, thrust that the boosters ha- have embraced uh, as we move forward into 16, 17, and 18. Yeah, Tom, I mean, uh, Keith, let me go back to those days. Hootie Ingram was the athletic director in those early 80s. And, you know, Hootie, Hootie uh, was you know, a pretty bright guy, and he had this great fear, which was shared by a lot of people in athletics, that kids were getting into extreme sports like surfing and mountain biking and all that kind of stuff, and that they weren't playing football at the at the rate that, you know, you and I had. And uh, he was afraid that was going to hurt attendance. And we see athletic directors now sweating the students not uh, attending games. Fortunately, we haven't had that problem at Florida State. But but nonetheless, there's always been this fear that attendance will go down. I was just at a conference of uh, luxury suite uh, seating and premium seating out in San Francisco. And the 49ers guy gave a speech, and I thought it was great. He said, we're not competing with HD. We're not competing with TV, and I'm tired of hearing people say that. Nothing can beat the game day experience. You know, what we have to do as stadium owners is amplify that experience. <laughs> and I'm proud of what Jason Bernard uh, at uh, FSU Sports Marketing and IMG, along with the boosters to a lesser extent, have done with the Friday night block party and creating the Friday to Sunday experience. I think it's critical. Um, the game day is the game day. Nothing beats Osceola and Renegade, the marching chiefs. The tailgating is very important to people. But when you have a fan base where two-thirds of your season ticket holders live more than two and a half hours from your stadium, and they got to come up on Friday and spend two nights in a hotel, you better have something for them Friday. You better have something for them Sunday. And to your point with the Champions Club, this thing, when you buy tickets in the Champions Club, it's a Friday to Sunday experience. You're getting uh, use of the club on Friday night, and we'll activate it. We'll have entertainment there. You'll be able to bring your guests and dine. Um, it'll be it'll be the place uh, to be uh, for a lot of people because not only is the Champions Club 100,000 square feet of usable space, but it's connected to College Town and it's connected to the great Game Street development that the city of Tallahassee uh, is is uh, well that, that place is booming. So this just adds to all that. And one of the things I've been telling people, Jerry, and, and, and I'm firsthand knowledge of it as it relates to the Varsity Club, which sits in the in the corner of the end zone at, at, uh, at Doak Campbell, but be on the exact opposite uh, end zone of the Champions Club, is there's a whole different perspective of watching a ball game uh, east and west instead of north and south. That, that people that have never sat in the end zone, never had the opportunity. I mean, in television, we use the Alt-22, the high end zone camera, you know, predominantly for our replays because of the of the view that it is. You know, it used to say we're sitting in the end zone because we got the cheap seats. They're not the cheap seats anymore. 
No. You know, Keith, I'd like to have just $1 for every hour you've got to watch that end zone copy with your defensive coordinator, Jack Stanton. Just $1, I could retire. <laughs> if I <laughs> can have a nickel, I could retire. <laughs> Isn't that, that's about all the copy coaches watch with their players. Exactly. Exactly. How many times has Tom, you, and me, and Keith asked the coach right after the game, Coach, what happened on this play? And he goes, well, this is what I think happened, but I'm not going to know until I go watch film. And it's that end zone copy they're watching. And I don't want to sound like a salesman here, which I am, but I've, I've always watched the game from the end zone because I love the game. And that's where you see the, the games the defensive front is playing. That's where you see the blocking scheme, see what the quarterback and the safety see. And so, yeah, I like high end zone uh, perspective. And I, I will share, and I've told you this, Jerry. I mean, I I have heard that feedback though from people that have good seats, forty yard line, fifty yard line, and they have trepidation about <clears throat> relinquishing those seats to move to the end zone. So, I mean, you just explain, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm on the field, and if if you if you care the to waste your, place if to you care to waste your time watching me during a game, I spend a lot of the time in the end zone because it's the best view I can get at field level. But uh, what are the reasons, uh, or or what other reasons are enticing people? to uh, potentially give up, you know, what, what theoretically or what historically have been known as better seats to move into the, to the Champions Club? We, we're all married, so we know the number one factor in every decision we make. <laughs> Our wives. Uh, what mama wants, you know, happy wife, happy life. And I've seen a lot of people, um, who, you know, they want to come to the games with their wife and their uh and the wife's not happy sitting in a crowded stadium with uh, somebody pouring a drink down her back or whatever, you know. And I don't, uh, I think we need 80,000 people in the bleacher seats, but at some, at some points, uh, the bleacher seats aren't for everybody. In a great stadium, I, I say this all the time, I've read it and I believe it with my, every fiber of my body. There's a life cycle as a fan. And um, there's there's people that you've got to have 13 experiences. You've got to have the student section. You've got to have the visitor section. You need to have the people that want to sit on that 50 and are going to, uh, you know, donate money to the boosters to buy that, you know, to work their way into that priority seating. We need those people. They're very important. We also need to have bleacher seats that are very inexpensive so that young families can enjoy the experience. And, you know, they, they call that sampling. Uh, you got to have seats that your young alumni can afford. They get in here and they see what a great experience game day is. If you don't make it cheap enough to sample the product, their, their only experience is going to be watching it on HDTV. So you have to have cheap seats. And the best way to get cheap seats in your stadium to have them available is to have some premium experiences where there's a real high yield. So your skyboxes generate a lot of money. Your club seats will generate a lot of money. And the more money they generate, the more cheap seats you can have and fund, still fund your program. And, Jerry, uh, in terms of concrete things for everyone, I mean, in 16, we're going to have a big scoreboard uh, in one of the end zones. Uh, there's some new audio uh, I mean, it's the, as you've mentioned, the money being raised is is doing some infrastructure stuff, but it's also doing some stuff like we experienced two or three years ago with the ribbon boards. Uh, I mean, everybody will get the benefit in 2016 from some of these activities. Exactly, we're going to have to come back to our donors for uh, with the we want to put a, a a new scoreboard in the south end zone that would be uh, if you can imagine uh, side to side on our scoreboard. I'm looking at it as we speak. You had StubHub on one side and a Hyundai uh, Six graphic on the other side. Uh, imagine it all being digital, and um, uh, that—that's what we're looking at. It's about a 162-foot scoreboard, and we're still debating the height of it. But um, it'll be a much improved scoreboard on that end zone. And we'll, Keith, that's gonna, that money will come from, it's outside the scope of the Champions Club project. That money will come from 
our Seminole Boosters annual fund donations. But we're also, within that project, looking at improving the audio. I didn't realize how bad the audio was until I went to some other stadiums and, and heard the the fidelity of uh, what a, a great audio system sounds like. And, and we're looking to improve that. And we'd like to put a new scoreboard on the south end zone. And if it's possible, we'll do it in 16. But I don't think the timing's going to be right because we're going to be doing all that work on the Champions Club. And it might be that we can't install a board until uh, during the 16th season when all the work's completed, or you know, right as soon as they're done, install it, or wait and install then 17. But um, yeah, it'll be exciting for fans to come back in 16 and see a freshly painted stadium with a with a new scoreboard. Jerry, let me uh, wrap things up on this. We're talking with Jerry Kutz from Seminole Boosters. Uh, sort of three-part here, but uh, <clears throat> Champions Club tickets, I mean, just give us a, a, an idea on price point, how that compares with uh, some of our peer universities, I guess, and how people would get more information about them. Yeah, that's thanks, Tom. Um, our, we, we, they're priced at $1,500 uh, per, per seat. Um, and right now, until uh, October 31st, you can get a 10% discount if you uh, reserve by October 31st. So that would be 1350. That's about half the price of what uh, they sell for it at, at Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and those kinds of places. And you might ask, why are we selling ours cheaper when we believe the Champions Club will be the finest? club seat section in all of collegiate athletics. So why why is it that we're charging half the price? Part of it is, um, is you know, our market. We're trying to be sensitive to our market. Our fans do have to travel a long way to get here. And uh, we're trying to be sensitive to that. But in addition to that, Tom, the best thing, Keith, about this facility, and it's very, very, everybody in the country is trying to do what we're doing. And that's, we're going to operate this facility 360 days a year as a conference center. So when you look at a pro forma, the rental of the, of that 100,000 square feet of space throughout the year generates a lot of money that Florida's not generating from their club seat section or Alabama or Auburn or Clemson. We're going to be able to generate that money because we're going to have the largest conference center in this part of the country. Where do you get more? So, where do you get more information about it, Jerry? Oh, uh, visit uh, fsuclubseats.com. And what we're doing is, uh, if you go to that site, you can get a private uh, tour of the facility. And each week, on uh, every every week, we're doing what we call a hard hat reveal uh, every home game, so fans can. Uh, come to register for a, an opportunity to meet the architects and contractors and interior designers and we show them the property well good deal good luck on it i know you guys are, are well into it now and uh, you're on track on pace it's going to be exciting to see the uh the new look of doe campbell when it gets here yeah it is I, I'm, I'm proud to say we've already sold 2100 seats for it and uh there's still you know uh, opportunities for people to pick an aisle seat or, uh, you know, there's, we've got about 4,000 seats that will be under cover. So there's, uh, we're well on our way. Uh, we're past, you know, we're ahead of goal and, uh, we're excited and thank you for the opportunity. Let me talk about it. You bet. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, well, well, there's, there's plenty that we could always talk to, uh, to Jerry about, but I uh, wanted to talk about the Champions Club. Keith, that looks like you want to weigh in with more. I, I, was, save, just save gonna, that. I, was, no, I was just going to say one. We, we got to have Jerry back and, and pick some specific topics, uh, because there's no better storyteller and maybe no better, uh, rememberer of things, uh, than, than one Jerry Coots. So he's worth, uh, the price every time you get an opportunity to listen to him. And Jerry, we appreciate you joining us. Let's be honest, Keith. We could pick a Wednesday night when you and I, say, have dinner plans with our wives at 6.45 or 7, and we could just invite Jerry on and ask him a question at about 
And be done. And be done. And we can take off, come back. All right. It's all good fun, Jared. We'll come, we'll come back and wrap up here on the front row momentarily. Good show as always. Back with more after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, we're back. Uh, just a couple of minutes to, to wrap things up. Tom and Keith with you. A, a brief chance to react to that conversation with Jerry Kutz. Uh, really, a much longer form is needed to, to dissect. Uh, everything about the Champions Club. I, I think to put it succinctly in terms of uh, the why, when you when you look at Seminole Booster season ticket base, sixty five percent of it, like Jerry said, is two hundred fifty miles away or more. I mean, you're talking about people who live in Tampa and Orlando and Miami and Fort Lauderdale, and the opportunities that these folks have when they go to professional stadiums there, uh, j- even if you're not in the club seats, are tremendous. But certainly, if you are in the club seats or the luxury suites at those stadiums, that's what your comparison point is. And then when you consider you've got to give up your Friday. Friday and your Saturday and your Sunday to get in and out of Tallahassee, you better give them a reason to come. And thus, uh, you know, you've got the Champions Club on the way. couple, three points. Number one, uh, reiterate, you'll, you'll have access Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to the stadium to do things, to bring people in. You can bring people in and entertain that aren't coming to the game on Saturday. I mean, you can be a host. You can have family members in. Uh, you know, there's going to be opportunity. Number two, that space, and, and we've talked about this a lot as the general business community, Florida State uh, has a number, a huge number of nonprofits and, 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 and associations and organizations that hold annual and semi-annual type meetings. And that meeting space and that space that will become available tied in with the, with the uh, Turnbull Center, tied in with the Civic Center, tied in with the local hotels, will create an opportunity that's well beyond just football. And then thirdly, to nail down back a point, you know, Jerry talked about the, the what we'll call a license fee, that $1,500 fee, 10% discount if you sign up before August, October 31st. That is for a five-year period. That's not an annual fee. There's some other things associated well, no, with no, no, that no, type no, of no, thing, no, that's, right? the, that's the price of the ticket, but you get it locked in for five years to create. But the, the one upfront fee is that there's a $1,000 uh, campaign gift to the Champions game, uh, Champions campaign per ticket. And, and my point is, if, if you want to but do it, it, But it, the price points are, if you, if you do the diligence, if you, if you don't believe what Jerry's saying, look it up. I mean, it's, I think at Clemson they're asking twenty five grand for a gift, and at FSU it's 1000 So it's markedly different. And, and markedly. my point is, for a, a, an incremental amount of money, you can upgrade your seats. You, you don't have to be uh, writing checks with lots of zeros to move into this facility. It's, it's available uh, in, in ways that I think many people you know, immediately discount because you say luxury boxes and or champion seat. I can't afford that. Well, you ought to look at it. You might find that it's a much more reasonable option than, than your human nature would tell you. Yeah, well, and they're, and they're, as Jerry said, they're on pace. be interesting to see. I mean, and, and again, not just that, but the, the changes that are coming to the stadium, the improvements, really. Uh, changes and improvements will be good to see. All right, this is what we do during an open week because there's no Florida State game to look forward to. I predict we will win. Yes, I like our chances as well. Next week, uh, we will have all eyes on FSU Wake Forest. But then things get very interesting for FSU as the schedule ratchets up. All right, we're out of time. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on the front row.